Hello and welcome to another episode of Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. Today we're going to be covering Game 2 of the 1975 World Series between the Cincinnati Reds and the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox were able to take a Game 1 series lead with a 6-0 win behind an excellent pitching performance from Louis Tiant and an absolute explosion there in the in the bottom of the seventh inning where the wheels just kind of fell off for the Reds. But overall, so, you know, we're going into game two now. We've got Bill Spaceman Lee going up against Jack Billingham. Interestingly enough, neither of these guys pitched in their respective championship series. You know, despite Bill Lee uh, having won 17 games, he he had a 17-9 and nine record. He had sort of an elevated ERA, I mean, similar to Tiant, but Tiant, who ended his season very strong, Bill Lee struggled down the stretch. Part of the reason he didn't end up pitching against the A's. But we're going to actually hear uh, in some some of the pre, pre-game comments, they thought that uh, Bill Lee would have some success against the Reds. Billingham, on the other hand, you know, this is a guy who only a couple of years ago had won 19 games uh, in 1973 and actually won 19 games again in uh, in 1974, though, of course, I, I kind of mentioned it was a little bit of a mirage. Uh, obviously, he had a great offense behind him. He had the big red machine. Uh, and, and especially, I mean, I mentioned he was part of the Joe Morgan deal uh, brought over brought over from the Astros. And in fact, Jack Billingham, uh, early on, uh, he actually was signed by the Dodgers um, and came up with them in 1968, was a pretty, was a pretty decent reliever, but was picked by, uh, uh, was ended up getting uh, taken by Houston. Um, oh, and then, you know, of course, the, the, the major thing about Jack Billingham that, that I didn't mention is he's actually part of that very, famous uh so he was he was picked by the montreal expos in the 1968 expansion draft and then he was later sent uh he was later sent to the houston as part of the don clendenin deal that that we uh, we mentioned uh, of course don clendenin the 1969 world series mvp was very much a focus of the uh, the previous series i covered uh but that's just a a, a small little uh, thing about jack billingham um, you know, and was, was, you know, kind of, kind of seen as a workhorse pitcher, uh, in, in many ways thought of sort of the ace of the Reds in 73 and 74. Um, but when you really kind of dive deeper into the numbers, well, now he was kind of a, he was a, a league average pitcher and actually in terms of ERA was a little bit below league average at this point. Um, but he was again. He was a guy that they trusted, and they and and they expected him to to be able to go at it. And um, I mean, part of the reason that you know that they're doing with that is it's a really damp day once again at Fenway Park, and it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a struggle to uh, to score runs. Uh, so they wanted someone who could go out there and, and give them length today and really, you know, get, you know, be able to stay in the game so that they could get to that bullpen. You know, later as we get into this game, I'm going to get into Will McEnany. Uh, I said McEnany. No, it's McEnany. Um, Pedro Bourbon and Raleigh Eastwick really comes up huge in this game. Um, really. And, you know, we, this game shares a lot of similarities to the, to the first one where it's going to be a very tense game for, well, I mean, in this case, it's for the entire game. But, you know, offenses are going to struggle to score for the, for, for the majority of this game. And there's going to also be some mistakes on the base paths and uh, as well as other things. So um, I'm going to get into sort of the Red Sox frame of mind and specifically their guy they're going with in game two uh, after a word from our sponsor. This Halloween, give the gift of ice cream with two holiday-themed favorites to choose from at your participating Carvel ice cream stores. Witchy the Witch and Dumpy the Pumpkin. I'm Witchy the Witch. I'm Dumpy the Pumpkin. Both 
eight ounces of cake and ice cream that will feed your whole family and friends. Yeah, which is great on top of all that trick-or-treat candy you'll get. <laughs> oh, kids, tell your parents to stop by your participating Caramel ice cream stores this Halloween to add more sugar and sweets to your diet. Oh, and while there, celebrate the great dad in your life by getting him a Fudgy the Whale ice cream cake. It comes in its own ocean right there on an old ice cream platter. Fudgy the Whale. For a whale of a dad. And for moms, get her a cookie puss. Remember, Wednesday is Sunday at your participating Caravel ice cream stores. You buy one Sunday, you get one free. And Tuesdays are Thursdays. And sometimes Fridays roll right into Saturdays. Some of our participating Carvel ice cream stores are closed on Sundays because of blue laws. But we'll be open Monday, Thursdays, Sundays, Tuesdays, and Fridays slash Saturdays at your participating Carvel ice cream stores. I'm Tom Carvel, and thank you. So once again, the Red Sox were going with a real character on the mound. Louis Tiant, living legend, um, just a really boisterous man. And now you've got Bill Spaceman Lee, the, Cal the, the California hippie who was really beloved at the time in Boston just because he was a real, he was a horse on the mound, a lefty going in there, flipping the ball in, and and, and just uh, having a real kind of blue-collar approach to the game, work, workman-like, while also being just an absolute uh, – he was unlike your typical baseball player. He grew up in California, grew up in Burbank, um, you know, loved playing baseball, ended up going to USC – uh, was a geography major, was a very, I mean, very much an intellectual type guy, had success at US, USC, Red Sox picked him up, and then he worked his way to come up to the big leagues. Now, of course, he actually had a little bit of controversy, and, and especially initially in Boston, um, he was very critical of the, you know, the busing and, and um, of, of students and, 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 and certainly the protest, the protests that happened as a result of the, of the busing. And he, you know, he called Boston a racist city, which, well, if you ask me, it, it is, um, it, it has certainly earned that reputation. So there was a bit of backlash against him, but, but for the most part during his tenure with the Red Sox, given how he performed on the mound and how, you know, he ended up uh, becoming an all-star in, uh, in, in 1973, you know, was a 17-game winner multiple times, workhorse pitcher. He was beloved by the fans. Uh, and, I mean, just a what an amazing guy that Bill Lee is. Um, and, you know, and this was an opportunity for him. As I mentioned, the end of the year didn't go well for him, even though he went 17-9, and struggled down the stretch. And uh, they, the, uh, the manager... Um, Daryl Johnson opted to go with Reggie Cleveland and Rick Wise in the uh, in the championship series against the Athletics, and and that ended up working out. They they ended up pitching pretty well, but and as we're going to see in, in comments here from Daryl Johnson, they decided to go with Bill Lee because uh, they thought, and, and again, in my mind, it makes sense. Louis Tiant master of deception, messing with timing, throwing multiple pitches, you know, just really befuddling hitters. That was kind of Bill Lee's game as well. Obviously not as big of a guy. He was, he was kind of a, he was a very lanky, lanky fellow and lefty, but he, you know, he would, he would mix the speed of his curveball. It wasn't just that he'd throw different pitches, but he would adjust the speed of his pitches um, and was really, you know, and the 
when he was at his best, he was on the attack with hitters, really, you know, trying to limit the number of base runners he faced. Now he, you know, he wasn't going to stri- strike a bunch of guys out. He, you know, he would give up base hits, but he was going to come at you. That was Bill Lee. Um, we'll get into what happens in this game and, and Bill Lee ends up pitching beautifully, masterfully, and, and really, um, you know, in this series, the times he gets to be on the mound, he does a fantastic job. Um, we'll go into a little bit of what happened sort of in the aftermath of this series. And, and unfortunately, he kind of had a rough exit out of Boston. Of He really ended up struggling over the next couple of years um, and eventually, you know, went away and, and went, to, uh, went to the Expos. Um, actually, to be re- reunited with his first manager, Dick Williams was the manager for the Red Sox in, in the late 60s. Uh, and then ended up being the manager for the Expos around 1980. And that's when Bill Lee, uh, you know, after 10 years with the Red Sox, moved on to the Expos and had a couple of other decent years. Um, I mean, I don't think he ever officially retired from baseball. Um, he, you still see him out and about, whether it's on some independent league team of where he'll come in and, you know, throw a couple of innings while chugging a beer. I mean, just what a what a character. Um, he wrote some great uh, autobiographical books. There's the, the wrong stuff, uh, a play on the, uh, of course, the the uh, the, the astronaut uh, book, uh, the the right stuff, um, and then also had a have glove will travel because you know he's kind of known as an ambassador for baseball, a, a really beloved figure by many, um, and and we'll you'll see it in this game here. He really does a tremendous job of of keeping the Red Sox at bay. I mean, he, he always kind of was that guy who pitched with a chip on his shoulder uh, and was really trying to, you know, say, hey, I might not have the best stuff, but I'm better than you. Uh, that's what he was uh, really excellent at doing. Um, and he and Pudge, so talking about Carlton Fisk, you know, they, uh, they were both young guys, ended up being all-stars in 1973, sort of these, these new up-and-coming young Red Sox uh, and they really shared a strong bond. And uh, Fisk would sometimes have to, you know, come to the mound and 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 uh, and, and get uh, get Bill right. Um, but they uh, they really blossomed together. And and this was, you know, a stretch. Bill Lee was on a stretch of really excellent pitching from him. Uh, and so that's what he was looking to do. That's what he was looking to do in Game One. Uh, and and it's a really tough and it's a tough assignment. Of course, uh, you know, facing facing this uh, this uh, this Reds team, you know, they're rolling out the same lineup that they did in Game One. Red Sox actually ended up flipping things because with Billingham or Righty on the mound, they're going to go with Cecil Cooper at the plate, and we'll, we'll we'll Cecil Cooper leading off, and we'll get into their lineup and what happens in a bit. But you know, obviously, with with Rose and Morgan at the top, it didn't matter whether they were facing a lefty or a righty. I mean, Pete Rose was a switch hitter. Joe Morgan hit lefties just as well as he hit righties. I mean, he killed righties and did excellent against lefties. Bench, Perez, Foster, all righties, all sluggers. Concepcion, Concepcion was, you know, he was a very tough out. Griffey, despite being a lefty, was going to battle you in there. And then uh, the last thing I'll mention here before I before I play the little intro is that you know, it's it's very interesting to me. Of course, you had the shifting of rules of, uh, you know, alternating years where Red Sox are hosting, you know, so the American League hosts this year, despite the National League team having a better record. But interestingly enough, this year, they were playing under National League rules the entire time, as in there's no DH. And that was kind of a little bit of a detriment to the Red Sox, um, you know, because they had played the whole year with the DH. So their pitchers never hit. Uh, so that's a spot in the lineup that they could have used. And, I mean, the Reds also wouldn't have mind having a DH either because uh, Dan Dreesen, who was kind of their main utility guy, uh, and it actually ended up hitting great in the 1976 World Series because the DH was in play for the entire series. I think it was a little bit later. I forget I forget the exact year, but they eventually shifted to, like the home team's rules. So if they were in an American League ballpark, you played with the DH National League ballpark, pitchers got a hit. And obviously now doesn't matter because the DH is uh, is now universal. Um, anyway, so that's a tough first inning for Bill Lee to come and face. Uh, and 
We're going to take a listen here. We're actually going to have a change in broadcasters, almost a whole new, whole new change in broadcasters. Um, I, I kind of misspoke the last game because I, I didn't look as far into it. Um, you know, so we've still got Tony Kubek. He's doing sort of your color commentary, but we, now we've got Joe Garagiola doing the main play-by-play, and he's going to be for the you know the next decade of baseball one of the main uh, play-by-play guys, and especially doing the big national games. But it's actually not Dick Stockton. Dick Stockton and Marty Brenneman and Kurt Gowdy are actually doing the radio call of this game, interestingly enough. It's going to be the the Red Sox main radio guy who had been their radio guy for decades, and that's going to be Ned Martin. He's going to be the other voice you hear on the call today. But anyway, we're going to hear a little pregame like just before the first inning, and then we're going to get into the ball game here. There he is, Ned, your man. That's the space cowboy from Southern California. <laughs> He's never had a losing season in baseball. He had a 1-3 and three record when he first came up here, but that was in the later part of the year. In that minor league season, he won more than he lost, so he really has never had a losing season in baseball. He's a pretty good mutter, too, isn't he? Not too bad. This is his kind of weather. One of the things they talk about is move. Uh, he's got many pickoff moves. Uh, I know uh, the scouts who have scouted him say, be careful, just watch him when the catcher returns the ball. He'll take that thing and quickly throw either the second or to first it doesn't make much difference so but he picked off some 12 people well he's got uh, you got to watch his head Joe and Tony uh, it's the way that he uses the head fake toward first base he'll go uh, he'll walk around that 18 foot circle he'll go out toward second base he'll do a lot of things well he's kind of a surprise starter as is Jack Billingham for the Reds in the second game of the World Series I talked to Daryl Johnson his manager before the ball game and said why Bill Lee today he's not done well lately. Well Tony basically uh, we're pitching Bill Lee because our scouting reports say that uh, a pitcher of Bill Lee's type has uh, good success against Cincinnati. Number two we know that he can hold people uh, as base runners on base very well. And uh, some of their best base dealers are left-handed hitters. And uh, again, according to the reports, we figure that the man has a little bit of an edge over some of our other pitchers. Pretty good reason, keeping the runners close. A couple personal wars out here yesterday. I, it's kind of interesting to watch. There's his record, 17 and 11, 17 and 15, 17 and 9. Potential 17-game winner, as Ned Martin said earlier. I thought Fisk and Bench did a pretty good job of showing what they can do as far as the base runners are concerned. But today's a brand new day. So you saw the comments there from the Red Sox manager, Daryl Johnson, about the reason why they were going to go with Bill Lee there. And, of course, you know, the being able to hold runners, having a lefty on the mound, being able to, to disrupt that for the Reds. I mean, the Reds, of course, were a slugging team. But base running, taking those extra bases, having stolen bases was a huge part of their game as well. And in fact, running around the bases was big for both teams, uh, though the Reds certainly had the speed advantage. And the first inning ends up going great for Bill Lee. Gets Pete Rose out on strikes, gets a ground ball from Joe Morgan to second, and then gets Johnny Bench to fly out to center field. So once again, great start. For the Red Sox, you know, a clean first inning. And then things get real dicey for the Reds here in the first. Uh, Cecil Cooper, as I mentioned, so they switched the lineup up a little bit. Uh, Cooper went from hitting last, you know, hitting eighth in the order to now hitting leadoff because they've now got a, got a righty on the mound. And he starts things off, ends up taking the first pitch of the game, lines it, lines it down to left field. And being in the unfamiliar ballpark, you know, it's, it's, it's always, you know, and especially because back then you didn't have interleague play. So George Foster, his only chance to get to play at Fenway Park has been these past couple of days. And so he, he sort of misjudges the ball, ends up actually almost overrunning it and left. You know, you've got the wet field. He's not able to really plant and turn around and, and, uh, and readjust to this. It gets by him. Uh, ends up going to the wall, easy stand-up double for Cecil Cooper. And then, with Denny Doyle at the plate, 
he ends up uh, very, you know, very interestingly hits a ball almost right back to Billingham, but it goes off of Billingham's glove into where no one can get it. So now we've got first and third, nobody out. And especially first and third on two plays that should have been made. You know, it's a very interesting of, man, here we are in a stressful situation. We've got Carl Yastrzemski coming up. We should, we, it should be no, it should be two outs, nobody on Carl Yastrzemski at the plate. But now you've got two runners on, nobody out. But as I mentioned, the Red Sox like to be aggressive, especially with their base running. And they were really looking to, you know, press the issue. And sometimes that can get you into a little trouble. Take a listen here. This is the man of the hour, Carl Yastrzemski, who has really done it all. He has dominated this series. 317 lifetime home run. Two on and nobody out. All one. Yastrzemski is superstitious. Digs in with that back foot. He's got a favorite pair of socks that he wears, baseball socks. Must be helping him, too. Takes it low, ball two. There it is. Now, man playing in the World Series, you think he'd get a new pair, but you couldn't get him to change, Tony. <laughs> that looks like the kind that Tony used to wear. Oh, well, you're Polish, <laughs> potato farmer. <laughs> Listen, man, the way he's going, he's going to buy two, three farms. Two-nothing pitch. Right back to Billingham. He's going to go to second for one. They're coming to the plate. They may have a rundown. They do. Bad running by the Red Sox. Bench tags him out. And I'm telling you, they came within an eyelash of a triple play. Cooper hesitated. He should have come in immediately. And he hesitated. Billingham went to second, Tony. Well, Billingham right here, a couple of guys appear to be yelling to him to go for Cooper coming in from third base. He decides to go to the double play. Another alert play by Concepcion. He made one yesterday on the ball. Bench with a pretty good play. Now we'll see the tag by Johnny, and close as you said, he's thinking double play. There is Cecil Cooper right now hung up. That's, That's his job, though. It. That's what he's supposed to do. Force them to go for him. Break up the double play. Tony, should he not have gone in as soon as that ball was hit? Stay I think away? he should get in a rundown and try and get there long enough to get both men to second and third, but Concepcion made a fine play. Like in game one, bottom one, the Red Sox again getting a runner thrown out at the plate. Uh, multiple times that's already happened uh, in this series. Now, on the positive side, the Red Sox are putting pressure on the Reds. But getting runners thrown out on the base, I mean, that's, you know, you were just almost gifted two runners, and then you just gave them right back. Uh, a little bit frustrating. Um, again, I, I kind of agree there of, we had a rule on, on, on teams I played on first and third. That's an automatic you're going. It's like no matter what, because at the very least, you have to break up a double play, get in a rundown so you can at least have first and second or even at better second and third. Or if, you know, you're, you're, able, you're able to force the issue, you might even score. You got to force them to make a play. Unfortunately for, uh, for Cooper there, he hesitated. He gets caught in no man's land and, and is thinking, oh, well, I've got to go here. I've got to break up the double play. But it was, you know, it was too late. Um, on uh, And it was actually a really excellent play by Johnny Bench here because it was not a good throw by Concepcion. Obviously, great decision by him to throw home. However, he kind of he kind of goosed it a little bit. Bench comes up, gets it, gets it the run down, and, and then it was looking to, uh, looking to even turn a triple play. Um, credit to Yaz there, busting it out of the box, noticing what was going on. So at least small credit to Cooper to at least get Yaz in scoring position. And that's huge because of what is going to happen next with Carlton Fisk at the plate. That's Darcy, loose enough for the Cincinnati Reds. No score. Yastrzemski's on at second base. Strike two on Fisk. Base hit. Yastrzemski will score. Carlton Fisk, a clutch base hit. Tony, that's 
got to be a big base hitter for no other reason that that mix-up with the base running has to get you clubbed down a little well, bit. Well, it's the kind of hit, too, that can break a pitcher's heart. He appeared to be about to pitch out of what was going to be a tough jam, and then you get the base hit, but Fisk's done it all of September through the championship series. That's a great piece of hitting there from Carlton Fisk. You know, actually, uh, I think a little bit of a mistake from Billingham there where he's, a, he's able to get ahead with a fastball and then actually gets uh, gets Fisk sort of flailing at a curveball a bit but then comes back with a fastball that's way too good of a no-two pitch. Fisk fl- flicks it out in the, into right. Great read, great jump from Yaz, scores with ease, not, not a throw on the play. Um, and that's, you know, and that's big for the Red Sox there of, you know, in game one, they had multiple missed opportunities and this, you know, even though they ended up winning the game, it's sort of one of those in retrospect, man, we could have had more. Um, and we really missed some opportunities and we had some, you know, the game wouldn't have been as close as, you know, even a six Oh game wouldn't, wouldn't have been as close as it was. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, the outs and all that stuff, they matter. When, when you're given extra outs, you got to take advantage. And, and that was a big part of the Red Sox's game was they tried to – they pressed the issue. They tried to take advantage. Sometimes they took unnecessary risks. Um, we're actually going to get into that in the bottom of the second inning. But, you know, having great hitters like Carlton Fisk, Carl, Carl Yastrzemski, who are able to, you know, pick you up from those mistakes – it is it's it's uh, it's a godsend, honestly. Bill Lee, second inning, no issues at all. Sets him down in order. Uh, is able to get you know put the pressure right back on Billingham, you know who just had a really rough first inning. And they're going to press the issue once again. Um, although Rico uh, Petroselli ends up striking out in the bottom of the second, Dewey Evans gets hit by pitch. Uh, Rick Burleson is able to single up the middle, and Evans is at second. So now, with Bill Lee at the plate, who is obviously going to be bunting, we have an opportunity to set up, you know, have multiple runners in scoring position. Now, from the outset, from them attempting to get the bunt down again, I mentioned playing by these rules, Bill Lee, though I'm sure probably practiced bunting, he didn't have game experience bunting for the most part. Uh, it certainly had been a few years. And so, and, and knowing that, and knowing of being aggressive, Evans was being really aggressive trying to get off second base. And from the first first pitch of the at-bat, Bench knows it and fires one trying to backpick him at second. Ball actually ends up getting away, going into center field, but obviously center fielder's playing in with the pitcher up. Uh, Evans thought about advancing to third, didn't take the op- didn't take the opportunity. But once again, another failed. We're going to have another failed bunt attempt, and another throw down to second. Take a listen to what happens here. A good shot showing that great daylight between the shortstop and the base runner. Here's a shot. They got him now. They're going to go to third. Here's the throw. They got him. Almost believed that Evans tried to play to draw a throw and take off because he didn't hesitate. Sure looked like it. He tried to set Bench up. There he is. He isn't, well, I don't know. He caught Bench in the middle. Bench caught him in the middle. He's out at third, attacked by Rose, but I think you're right. He tried to set Bench up, and he got caught. I'll tell you something, though, Tony and Ned. Concepcion had to put a little extra on that ball. If he throws one of those little infield fly jobs down there, Evans has got it. This Red Sox ball club, Ned, is an aggressive base of a base running club. And they don't run the bases, they haven't run the bases that well until the latter part of the year. They don't play station to station. I mean, one base at a time. They just take off. They don't have the team speed to make them a real flamboyant running ball club, but they try to take that extra base and, uh, and take the advantage if they can. By my count, I think that's already the fourth or fifth base runner in these first two games, and really one game and some change of base runners thrown out trying to advance for the Red Sox. And, and not to mention the, uh, the Reds have had a couple of base runners thrown out as well. Um, I, I bring this up because as we get later into this game, thinking about those missed opportunities, 
and some of the decisions that are made later in this game. If you're thinking, man, if we could have had that extra run, again, it changes the series. It, you know, I mentioned I mentioned when I covered the 1969 series, game two is really important. Um, you know, you again, the Reds, all the Reds are looking to do is split. You know, if hey, as long as we take one from the uh, from these guys, we've got a we've got a chance in this series. It's you know going down 2 in a series. Either way, is not the end of the world. Uh, but if you can make it one one, tie it up, it makes a big difference. And you know, obviously, the Red Sox on there, uh, I can understand what they're doing, and this is what's gotten them so far was being aggressive. You maybe could play a little bit smarter. It's not a smart play there by Dewey Evans. He's actually been thrown out multiple times on the bases so far in this series. Uh, and for a guy who's, you know, not the most fleet of foot. I mean, Evans, great athlete, and for the most of his career, good base runner. Um, a few mistakes here. And, and, and also, you know, they're, they're aggressive mistakes. You, you know, you'd rather have a guy be aggressive than not. Um, but it's something that, you know, I think in retrospect and in hindsight, something they might want to revisit um you know but it, this didn't uh in in the third inning didn't affect bill lee uh and in fact you know like thinking uh thinking about this scenario is um you know bill lee so louis tiant in game in game one set down the first 10 hitters he faced that's gonna be the same for bill lee we're gonna get into the fourth inning now unfortunately for bill lee Joe Morgan ends up getting on base and it's a, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a tough at bat here gets, is able to get ahead one, two, but Joe Morgan fights off pitches and Lee eventually loses him. Now he's got Morgan in mind with bench at the plate. And so he tries to sort of quick pitch in order to, you know, not let Morgan really get his great jump. Unfortunately for, for Bill, he ends up leaving a pitch right down smack in the middle for Johnny Bench, who, who rips one up the middle. Joe, you know, so a little bit tailing to right center. Joe Morgan takes advantage, gets to third base. It's real fist pump is looking at Tony Perez like, hey, looking for you to come through here. I mean, that's just, that's just what Johnny Bench, I mean, that's the big red machine. They put the pressure on you. So now we've got first and third. We've got one out, Tony Perez at the plate. And Bill Lee was looking for a ground ball double play. Obviously trying to keep the ball low and outside, or at least low, to get the ground ball to get out of the inning. Curveball. Going to be tough. Burleson gets one. Not in time. We're all tied up. One apiece. That's a tough play, Tony. Well, Lee... Had Perez out on one foot, is getting to roll over on a curveball, but it's just not in the right spot. Chopped too slowly. Burl, uh, Burleson comes in, makes a great play uh, to get the to get the ball to second, um, but just not not enough time to to whip it over to get Perez, who's not the fastest runner, and so the the game's knotted up. Um, George Foster ended up getting a, a single right after that as well. Uh, but Bill Lee was able to get out of the inning with no further damage. Um, you know, and, and that's just the Reds taking advantage there. A walk, a hit, and a ground ball that's just in the right spot. Um, you know, because obviously Burleson and Doyle were pretty adept at turning double plays, and Perez is not the fastest runner, but the ball just wasn't hit hard enough. And, you know, it, it's a situation for for Bill Lee you know, okay, got out of the inning, given up a run. It's a tie game. Got got to refocus now. Um, but you're looking at it as like, man, I had him on a ground ball. If only it was hit just a little bit harder, could have been uh, out of it without a run. Um, but I think for the Red Sox, they'll take it. You know, hey, got through the middle of the order. It's it's a tie game. We're going to keep going. Um, the, sort of the middle innings, the the fourth inning through. You know, basically getting up to the top of the sixth. No base runners on. Uh, we got some ground outs and we got some strikeouts. Um, but now it's the top of the six, and we've got the top of the order coming up once again, once again for the Reds, and they were looking, looking to uh, looking to do some damage. 
Now, what happens here is uh, Pete Rose, he gets a single through the left side. He's able to poke one through uh, sort of in the 5-6 hole. I think now, you know, despite Rose being a very much a, a spray hitter, if you were looking at his chart, I think he actually a lot of times would pull the ball whether he was hitting righty or lefty. So uh, I, we'll talk about shifting because uh, there actually is shifting that goes on the, in this series. They actually end up shifting Johnny Bench a lot, and I think they shift Joe Morgan to a degree. Um, but there's a significant play that happens later in this game in which it might have a different outcome played during today's game where shifting is so prominent. Uh, but anyway, Joe Morgan's up. He's looking to uh, continue to press the issue for the Reds. He actually thinks he gets hit by pitch. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's close. Might have clipped him. Um, but then he gets uh, he gets a ground ball. Um, you know, actually, Cecil Cooper makes a tremendous play. Obviously, he's holding Rose. It's sort of a, a roll, you know, ball that's rolled over. Um, Cooper comes out makes a dive, and then makes a quick throw to second base because obviously, you know, he got out a little bit from first base. It would have been a tough play for him to go back and try to get Morgan at first, uh, but he's able to make the lead throw, um, you know, preventing a run from uh, from getting a runner from being in scoring position. And obviously with Morgan's speed, there's no way you could turn in a double play on a ball hit like that. Uh, but a really tremendous play from, uh, from Cecil Cooper, a guy who, you know, for much of the year, had been the DH, uh, who they didn't necessarily trust, uh, but he makes a great play here. He actually would go on to win a couple of Gold Gloves uh, when he played with uh, when he played with Milwaukee. So he actually was a pretty good fielder. But uh, so there might have been an argument that Yastrzemski should have been the DH, as would happen in later years. Um, but anyway, now we've got Morgan on first base, and the game is on, like it was in Game One. Uh, with Louis Tiant with constant throws, that's just what it was with Joe Morgan. And, and, and you know, obviously, there's Morgan the hitter, um, you know, being a second baseman with his on-base percentage, his slugging, um, and his just ability to uh, – his ability is such a great hitter. But his – the real wrench he threw in is what he did – as a base runner, sort of like you, Ricky Henderson, who would come after him. He was a real force on the base pass. He was someone who you really had to, had to keep in mind. And, and, and that combination of getting an extra 90 feet is huge. It, it makes it easier to score, but also just being in the mind of the pitcher might cause them to speed up and leave a pitch, you know, on the plate for Johnny Bench, Tony Perez, George Foster, guys who can do real damage. Um, so that's, it's a real threat. It's a real, it's a real kind of catch 22 as a pitcher of, you don't want him getting an extra base, but you don't want to devote too much focus to him. And we're going to see this sort of battle go on here where we already saw this kind of come to bite Bill Lee before we're going to see what happens here. And, uh, one small thing I'll mention, obviously we had the balk call on Louis Tiant in game one, which was a little controversial. One thing watching the replay of this game. Uh, Bill Lee box every single pitch because he does not come set. Now, I don't know how – I mean, part of it is, hey, if it's your natural thing, you do it all the time. It's kind of hard to call it, but it's one thing. You know, it plays in here of, you know, Lee didn't have the most deceptive – he didn't have like an Andy Pettit pickoff move, but he threw over a lot and he was quick to the plate. So we're going to see how that plays out right now. Morgan with interesting base-dealing philosophies. He's very positive. He says – Worry about getting back to first base, not me. He says, I've already got that. I'm thinking second base. And that's you, back again. I'll tell you how I feel. I don't think he'll run with bench hitting if they get two outs, although you'd have to be ready for him. He wouldn't want to take that bat out of this big guy's hands. But he's drawing throws. Oh, there he goes. Look at here. He's got it. Out. Out. Got him again. Denny Doyle making the tag. Well, sure did. Sure did. I'm still surprised that he ran. 
Another runner thrown out on the base pass. This time for the Reds. Um, really, I mean, that's just uh, playing strengths there. Morgan gets a good jump. Lee's quick to the plate, and Fisk, not known, I mean, not known as a great defensive catcher, especially with his throwing arm. I mean, obviously, he, you know, being the young up-and-coming catcher uh, was an offensive force from from the from the outset uh, as a Red Sox, but then, you know, was not as much known, you know, Johnny Bench did it on both sides. Fisk was not as great of a defensive catcher. He's a great blocker. Uh, but throwing guys out wasn't uh, certainly was not what he was known for. But hey, he gets one of the one of the best base runners out there with a with a laser of a throw and a great play by Doyle. And then we're going to come and see another great defensive play only a couple pitches later uh, with Johnny Bench at the plate to to uh, help get the Red Sox back in the dugout. To center field, Lynn coming on. He slipped on the first step as he started to break in. Now he's dealing for a center field camera with a great recovery. Second time he's done it today. And he has done this all year long in short left, center, and right field. Here comes another angle on it. Lynn out. Great catch. Innings over. Going to the bottom of the sixth inning. 1-1. Now, Fred Lynn didn't get off to a great offensive start in this World Series. A bit of a bit of a rough patch for the for the expected MVP, and of course he would end up winning MVP. But man, he was doing it out there on defense. Uh, again, part of the reason he won MVP it wasn't just what he did at the plate; it's the fact that he was a Gold Glove center fielder, Gold Glove rookie center fielder MVP, and pretty nice to have. Pretty nice to have there for the Red Sox. Uh, just a tremendous play uh, for him there. And I mean, just think about. Got Pete. You had Pete Rose getting on at first base, but then having to swap places with Morgan. And I mean, just how quickly. I mean, think if Morgan gets in safely, and then that ball drops in, we've got the Reds taking the lead. Or, or if, uh, if uh, you know, certainly if Lynn were to not come up with that catch and the ball gets by him, who knows uh, what further damage could have been done? But hey, look at that for Bill Lee: six innings, one run, pitching excellent. Excellent through this ball game, and now we had the sort of the meat of the Red Sox order coming up here in the bottom of the six. Now, as I mentioned, uh, and if you heard in the first inning, the bottom of the first inning, the Reds were actually warming up Pat Darcy to potentially come in for Billingham if the uh, you know if the wheels had come off in that inning. Uh, but he had really he had really rebounded and uh, had done excellent over over these uh, these next sort of five innings. Uh, but here he was, third time through, going to face the meat of the Red Sox order. He's able to get Denny Doyle to ground out to second. He had a nice play by uh, by Joe Morgan there. And then Yaz smokes a single to right field, as he does, just patented hit. Uh, Carlton Fisk ends up working a great at-bat, really tough at-bat, gets it to a 2-2. Actually, he might even get it to a 3-2 count. And so with one out, they actually, Yaz ends up going. They almost go in like hit and run. Uh, Fisk hits a ball really hard to the sure-handed Concepcion, but, you know, I don't know if he was peaking at second base or what, but he's not able. He's not able to come up with it cleanly. Fisk hustled, hustles down, and now you got first and second and one out. Um, and so that looks like sort of real danger now. Again, an opportunity, you know, you you expect Concepcion to make the plays, but you know I don't know if it was a tough hop. Um, one of the things you know to to that, that's at play in the series, and perhaps one of the advantages that the Reds had at home was they played on a turf field. So Riverfront uh, Riverfront Stadium, uh, there there was some artificial turf. Not here at Fenway. We've got the dirt and the grass, and it's kind of a mucky day. And uh, he's just not able to come up with it cleanly, and it's going to come back to bite him. Not immediately, though. Fred Lynn, the MVP, you know, you would think, oh, makes a great catch and is now going to do something on the offensive end. Uh, he ends up popping out to right field. Ken Griffey comes in. Pretty shallow ball. But once again, 
the Red Sox with two outs, finding a way. Here's Rico Petroselli coming up in the clutch. Three and two, two outs, six inning, 1-1 one, one game. Petroselli hails from Brooklyn, New York originally. Has been living here, but is moving to Florida. Next door neighbor to the home plate umpire, Nick Colosi. Colosi grew up coming out with Rico's brothers. Rico's just a kid. Three and two. Base hit, is it? Yep, base hit. Yastrzemski will score. Two to one, Red Sox. Petroselli on a 3-2 pitch. Singles in the lead run. There it is again, too, Ned. That big two-out RBI base hit. They got it from Carlton Fisk in the first and got it from Petroselli here in the sixth. Once again, the Red Sox guys coming through. The, the uh, 1967 boys, Petroselli and Yaz. Uh, man. And again, another, it feels like nothing's going right for the Reds here. Um, you know, with, with runners getting thrown out on the bases and an error from your sure-handed shortstop. Oh, man, it looks like, looks like uh, this game in this series is going to be slipping away from you. Um, Billingham ends up then walking, uh, walking Dewey Evans. And... It's going to be bases loaded. That's going to do it for Jack Billingham. And, <clears throat> you know, I would say overall from a guy who wasn't necessarily expected to pitch or expected to start in this series, it's not a bad outing. You know, five and two-thirds, two runs, one of them unearned. You know what? That's not too bad. That's not too bad, honestly. Um, and now you're, you, you have a chance to hand it over to your bullpen. We're going to have Pedro Bourbon come in and uh you know he's able to to get Rick Burleson to to fly out pretty pretty weakly to center field um unfortunately though for uh for the Reds they still weren't able to get anything going against Bill Lee uh despite a leadoff walk for Tony Perez a couple of flyouts and a strikeout and so now we're back back in um Will uh, McEnany comes in Ends up actually pitching pretty well. Uh, is able to get a 1-2-3 inning. Um, again, the Reds, they are able to get a runner. Pete Rose is able to get on with two outs in the eighth, but Bill Lee is able to shut him down once again. I mean, look at that for Bill Lee. Eight innings. Eight innings. It's held them to one run. And think about this. The Reds, the top offense in baseball, who averaged over five runs a game, they've scored one run in almost two full games against, let's face it, not a great pitching staff. Um, the weather had had a bit to do with it. You know, the, the Reds relied on power, and, and that was a real strength to their game. And no one was hitting the ball out of any ballpark in these in these games today. Uh, with the with the cold rain, not not a chance. Um, but for the Reds, you know, credit to them. You know, despite that six run outburst. They've done a good job of keeping another great offense at bay. Um, and the, the Reds bullpen does a great job. Um, you know, Raleigh Eastwick, uh, sort of the, he's, he was a rookie pitcher this year, uh, but he was really outstanding, had, had been the Reds' best and most trusted reliever, especially in high-leverage situations. And uh, he would actually end up running into a little bit of trouble in the eighth. Um, you know, Yaz flew out deep to center. Then he walked Carlton Fisk, um, got another fly out from Freddie Lynn. Rico ends up getting a hit over to right field, um, but Raleigh Eastwick is able to able to freeze uh, Dewey Evans on a on a fastball down and in um, to uh, to sort of escape the firing and lead us to the ninth inning, where things really start happening. Um, leading off the ninth inning is going to be Johnny Bench. And here is Bill Lee, three outs away from a complete game win. Um, he actually hadn't gone a complete game in quite some time, and, and of course it had his struggles, but here he was with a chance to give the Red Sox 
2-0 series lead. But the Reds, oh, they wouldn't go down without a fight. So here we go to the top of the ninth. The Red Sox leading the Reds 2-1 as Bill Lee will face Mitch, Perez, and Foster with Concepcion behind them. Lee has pitched a four-hitter. The go-ahead run by the Red Sox was unearned. That's the kind of ball game this has been. Tough, tight, taut. Here's Bench. Base hit, right field, maybe more than one. Evans tracks it down. Bench will take two. Double. Tying run at second base. Nobody out. Ned, we didn't get a chance because he hit the first pitch, but they had shifted on him. They had thrown all their strength towards left field and the third base line. And Lee hung a ball outside and had John pull it. He had a tough time pulling it through for a base hit, but he went with it. And it's an extra base hit, and here comes Daryl Johnson. Johnson out to talk to Lee. It's been a long while since Lee has gone nine innings, and that was then at April of the August 24th game. Figuring on what to do now with bench at second base and the tough part of the order still coming up. And, of course, with Cincinnati, every part of the order is tough. Tony Perez, a right-handed hitter, to be followed by Foster and Concepcion. They're going to go to the bullpen. They want the right-hander, Dick Drago, to come on to pitch to Perez. So Bill Lee, who will get uh, quite a hand here as he leaves. Here it is. Everybody up at Fenway and the Red Sox faithful. Lee worked eight innings plus giving up five hits and one run. Walked two, struck out four, and gives way to Drago. And just like that, the Spaceman's day is over. Daryl Johnson opting to go with the hard throw in Dick Drago, <clears throat> who they, uh, they actually acquired from the, uh, from the Kansas City Royals. Dick Drago had been a uh, part of the Detroit Tigers organization, was uh, plucked in the expansion draft uh, in 1969 for the Royals and ended up actually being a pretty darn good starter for them, honestly. Uh, pretty pretty reliable starter on some bad teams, uh, including a year where he went 17-11 and 11 with a 2.98 ERA in 1971. Ended up fifth in Cy Young. Uh, but when Boston acquired him in 1974, I mean, they, they, they had him start, but towards the end of the year, they really shifted him as a reliever. And he became a reliable reliever for them this year. Although his ERA was a bit high, it was a 3.84 ERA this year. He ended up picking up 15 saves. He was a hard thrower, came right at guys. And with this, uh, a stretch of writings with Perez, Foster, and Concepcion coming up, um, and with a runner in scoring position, he was going to opt. Daryl Johnson was going to say, hey, let's go with Dick Drago. Now, Drago actually does a pretty – he does an okay job here. Uh, but sometimes things just don't go your way. Um, he's able to get Tony Perez to bounce out. But unfortunately, the ball's up the middle. So um, Burleson's able to come over, make a really nice play to throw out Perez. But that allows Bench to move over to third base. And so guy on third base, less than two outs. All the Reds need is a fly ball that's – Deep enough. Now, Fenway Park is interesting. Uh, you know, you're going to, you know, obviously you're going to have the infield drawn in, but you don't have the advantages that you would have in another ballpark because, well, Yaz, he gets to play in because you've got a very short left field wall. Um, and we're going to see Drago here. He just really comes right at George Foster with fastball after fastball after fastball. Um, and, you know, he's got two strikes on him. And then is uh, he does one of those sort of uh, shaking his head just to go back to another fastball. It ends up overpowering Foster, who pops out to left field way too short. No chance for, for Bench to tag up and try to score. I mean, really, if guys were playing normal depth, probably the shortstop goes and gets, gets this ball. But since they were playing in, you're not going to have that. But now here we are, the Red Sox one out away, one out away from taking a 2-0 series lead. But stepping in their way is Dave Concepcion, who, um, through his error, uh, kind of gifted the Red Sox 
the lead. Uh, so here he was facing the hard-throwing Dick Drago, looking to find a way, to just find any way to keep this game going. Now it's down to one out to go for Drago, and a base hit to go for Concepcion if he wants to send this game farther than it is, or give the Red Sox a chance in the night. Dave Concepcion is 0 for 3, grounded to short, flied out twice. Bench at third, the wind-up by Dragon. Right. 0-1, up and in again. He is letting out a notch, man. He has really blown that ball. Notice he's not going to any trick pitches. What got him here is going to get him out of there. And that's what Concepcion will be looking for. So it's, you know, I got mine, you got yours. Let's see. That may be trouble. Doyle can't make the play, and it's all tied up. Infield hit by Dave Concepcion. No play at all for Denny Doyle except to keep it in the infield. Johnny Bench scores, and the Reds have tied it in the ninth. And here we go again. It was a pitch on the outer edge and tailing in. Could really see Concepcion swing down on that ball, and once it got by Drago, there wasn't much Doyle could do but keep it from going to the outfield. He couldn't really make a throw. He was running too hard. Watch the momentum carry him about three or four more steps. That's the kind when you stop right there, you you just don't know what to do with it. You really want to take a bite out of it is what you want to do. Yeah, or bury it. Right. Heartbreak for one team and a jolt for another on just a little bouncing ball up the middle. No shot for Denny Doyle to throw out Concepcion. And, of course, Tony Perez's productive out. Johnny Bench is able to walk on in to home. Tie game. All of that work that Bill Lee had put in, giving his team a chance, chance to win. And, well, now it's a brand-new ball game. Brand new ball game. And, uh, man, that's, I mean, it's heartbreaking, and especially as a pitcher. I mean, Drago didn't really do anything wrong coming at guys, gives up weak contact, just not in the right spot. Um, and that's why I did mention the shifting. We would think now, even with a guy like Concepcion, who's a little bit of a slap hitter, we, probably in that situation, you're going to shade up the middle now. Uh, and, I mean, I talk about this with my dad all the time of, Balls that used to be, you know, oh, a ball hit up the middle. Well, that's going to be a base hit. It's not the case anymore. Um, but we see that, you know, coming through there, uh, Concepcion, and he's then going to press the issue. Really kind of a risky play. Ends up stealing second base. Now, upon replay, you know, the play was really close at second, and I'm not sure, you know, Denny Doyle might have gotten the tag on him. But... Or and actually, I, I'm mistaken. It wasn't Doyle making the tag. It was actually uh, it was actually Rick Burleson because Ken Griffey's up at the plate. But now, with even with with two strikes on him, guy in scoring position, and again taking that extra base, it's going to come up huge because Fenway is a weird ballpark. There are certain areas you can hit it where guys can score from first base, and there's certain things where you would think, oh, a ball hit to the left center field gap. Oh, yeah, that's going to score a run from first base. Not necessarily at Fenway. Left field is very short, and it's and and with especially with the defensive outfielders that the Red Sox had, you know, you, you know, getting those extra bases can be pretty hard. It can be hard to score from first, but from second base, it might be a bit easier. If Concepcion able to steal a base in the clutch is a pretty good indication of what kind of a ball club it is as far as balance. Absolutely. Well hit to left center, it's in there. A run will score, it goes to the wall. Picked up by Lynn, double. And it's Reds three, Red Sox two. Ken Griffey with two strikes on him. Behind on the count, one and two. Picked on the fastball and found the alley with a clutch double. And the Reds have gone ahead for the first time in the series. The ball club was down. They were almost saying, wait till we get you in our home ballpark. But Griffey has just given them a lead. 
And Griffey, who has kind of been in the shadows of the benches, Perez, Rose, and Morgans, who was his bunt that uh, beat Pittsburgh, and now it's his extra base hit that puts him ahead. Of course, I was doing a little foreshadowing there of what's going to happen. Ball uh, ripped to left center field, and Concepcion scores with ease. The Reds have the lead for the first time in this series. And, I mean, just think about that. The first two games, the Red Sox really controlled it for for the near entirety. Um, and, you, and you're thinking about all of those other opportunities they had to add on runs to and all of those runners thrown out at home plate. And now you're going to be looking at a 1-1 series and when you really feel like you should be up 2-0. Um, what a great at bat there from Griffey really battled hard. Drago, again, Drago's bringing it in the attacks guys. And you know, you can't, it's hard to fault a pitcher for, for being aggressive. Um, and, and that's one thing that happens here, you know, for the Red Sox is, Hey, that ninth inning, they came at guys. They, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't fall behind. The Reds just beat them there in the ninth inning. Um, and we're going to come. I mean, just what a, what a, I mean, and then from the Reds' perspective here of, man, felt like this game was just out of, I mean, like, again, although it was a one-run game up until this point, kind of felt like the Red Sox were dominating it. I mean, especially, you know, but, but here you go. You take out a guy who's, uh, who's, uh, who's fooling you and it, you know, it doesn't matter that this, that this next guy's throwing hard. It's just not Bill Lee. Um, and, you know, Eastwick uh, was able to able to hold the line there in the eighth, and he's going to shut him down here in the ninth inning. He's uh, able to get a foul out to right field from Burleson. Bernie Carbo, who's going to come up big later in this series, uh, ends up lining out to left after, I mean, really tough, is really fighting hard against Eastwick really seeing him well. Keep that in mind when we get later in this series, believe me. Uh, but he hits hits a line drive to the left. Foster, he's getting a little more comfortable around Fenway Park, comes in, makes the grab. And now you got Cecil Cooper up, um, who had a decent game so far, uh, but really at this point, the Reds had taken all the momentum and they were and they were gonna look to finish the game here. This should do it. Popped up towards short. Concepcion. There. And that's it. As the Reds take it in the second game of the series. Three up and three down in the ninth inning. Nothing across. The final score, Cincinnati beating the Red Sox 3-2 with a winner, Eastwick, and the loser, Dick Drago. Well, a happy Cincinnati ball club heading for the clubhouse. It really picked them up. It was Johnny Bench who got us started in the ninth inning. And after two outs, Concepcion's base hit an infield hit. Scored Bench would move to third on a bouncing ball by Perez, a double by Griffey, and it's three to two. And that's it. The final score once again, Cincinnati three, Boston two. The World Series is tied at a game apiece. This is Joe Garagiola with Ned Martin and Tony Kubek saying goodbye from Boston. Fitting that Concepcion is the one to bring in that last uh, pop out. Uh, it was actually, the ball was hit really, really high. It took a long time to come down. Well, Concepcion was actually kind of still moving in uh, as he caught it. Um, but man, that's, got, that's a real feel-good win for the Reds. Going to have a lot more confidence going back home to Riverfront. And it's a heartbreaking loss. Heartbreaking loss for the Red Sox. We really had a chance to go up 2-0 here, and you feel like you wasted a you wasted a gem from from the spaceman. Um, and again, I, I look back to oh, look at the opportunities they had to score some more runs uh, right there in the first inning, and and at other times where you know you had runners thrown out. Um, it's it's unfortunate, you know. You, you, those are things that that don't really come to mind when when you win 6-0. You, you don't think about the runners you had thrown out, but when you lose three to two, it comes back to the mind. Um, the one piece of confidence that they can have is, 
hey, their pitching's actually done really well. I mean, despite Drago uh, ending ending up getting the hook of the loss, the blown save in the loss here, hey, he was coming at guys, just didn't go to the right spots. I mean, you know, hard hard to fault a guy for that. Um, but you feel confident, man. Bill Lee did an excellent job. Louis Tion has done an excellent job. Of, you've kept the big red machine down. Now, were you going to be able to do that at Riverfront? That's a that's a tall task, and and we're going to see uh, the challenges for each team as we move on in this series. Um, but yeah, it's just it really goes to show just how tight this series this series is going to be, uh, and, and why it's going to end up going seven games. Is these are two teams that, that don't give up, they don't give in. Um, they they really really battle, and we're going to see lots of late drama. Uh, in many, many of these games coming forward. Um, and so we're going to be moving on to game three. Game three, which we will cover next time, is going to be on a Tuesday. Obviously, we played on the weekend, and we're now going to be moving to a, to a Tuesday. Uh, the starting pitchers in the next matchup are going to be Gary Nolan is going to end up pitching for the uh, – for the Reds pitching at home. And then you're going to have Rick Wise, uh, who ended up having actually a pretty darn good year for the Red Sox. He's going to be, he's going to be going for the Red Sox. Um, And yeah, we've got game three. It's going to be another tight one, another tense one. Um, And yeah, hope you, uh, hope you continue to listen in. Um, I'm really, really excited to cover the rest of this series. I mean, frankly, all of these games are great, but they're just going to keep getting better as we uh, as we go on in this series. But what a what a win! Raleigh Eastwick picking up the win out of the pen really had had been their kind of their relief ace. Um, and look at that the bottom the bottom of the order for the Reds: Concepcion and Griffey coming through in the clutch with uh, with uh, with with some great with some great approaches there. All right. Catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.